The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Back to Legit Bat Podcast. Today we have Terry Lovelace on. He is the author of The Incident at Devil's Den and his new book coming out, The Incident at Devil's Den, The Reckoning. Ominous title. We got into neither of his books, really. More of uh, just some crazy stories that he has collected over the years. But I disagree. I'm sorry. We got into both of his books just a touch, though. Oh yeah, some yeah. some random stories from him. He he definitely touched on Incident at Devil's Den and Incident at Devil's Den: The Reckoning. He just, you know, I don't know. It wasn't like a, a long synopsis. It was just little stories here and there. Yeah, he he has some uh, qualifications though. He sent me his bio. It says he's been a lifelong experiencer since early childhood. You'd have to read his book to get more into that, but he had six years of active duty from 73 to 79 in the Air Force as a medic and first responder while on his, while on, I'm trying to read here, while on active duty, him and his friend Toby were abducted from an Arkansas state park while remote camping in June of 77. They suffered burn injuries from the abduction and harsh scrutiny from the OSI of the Air Force. After he enlisted, he completed a bachelor's degree in psychology from Park University. His legal career included private practice in Michigan and later appointed as an assistant attorney general general for the state of Vermont, where he served until his retirement in 2012. After that, he published his book, uh, probably for obvious reasons. You don't want to be in that kind of a field and publish a crazy story about no, getting that ab- was his whole point. Abducted. He published his book after his career because he didn't want to be uh scrutinized and you know taken away from everything that he was doing well i mean that's the general rule of politics don't do anything while you're still in your political seat uh if they can bring it back on you and since we live in a nation where everything you've ever done is brought back on you one way or another it makes a lot of sense that he wouldn't publish something that could tie him to any kind of thing like that while he was still in a position of doing anything oh yeah especially since during the interview he said he was a uh, targeted individual so oh i'm sure there's some eyes on him he talks about a uh, helicopters scoping out his place and even had a couple edgar edgar casey was that the guy he had over no it was uh... <laughs> there's so many names i can't remember all of them anyway he, he had a dude over that just to check out the helicopters that were buzzing his house <clears throat> 
He was um. So after his. And what did the guy say? Wait, what did the guy say? I wasn't there for any of the stories. So the guy he had over to check out the helicopters, scoping out his place. What did that guy have to say about the helicopters? He finally at the so he was like I none get of it. the helicopters <laughs> came over the first two days he was there, and then at the very end it was like 4 p.m. the day he, the guy was gonna leave, and he's like, okay, gotcha. Like, nope, you're totally legit. He said he has almost 200 pictures of the helicopters over his house, and they're they're missing the numbers. You know how yeah. aircraft are supposed to have numbers? Yeah. Apparently, these helicopters are missing their identifying numbers. Yeah. And he, lo- numbers. he looked it up, and the only thing exempt from that is federal yeah. agents. No, so you're right, Ben. So they're supposed to have an N, like a giant uh-huh. N, as in Nancy, and then all of the numbers H? after that. No, just, oh, okay. just N, and then after <laughs> that, whatever, like these particular helicopters. And he said yeah. they had zero numbers on them. So he's an attorney. He was an attorney until he might even still be an attorney to this day. But so he looked up the code for those helicopters and it said, these helicopters are supposed to have the letter N on them. It's supposed to be this length and this width, and it's supposed to be displayed at this, whatever. And so he was like, Oh, okay. And then at the very bottom of the code, it said, Oh, exemption, uh, federal, federal, military equipment and like it's just like a very vague like thing where it's like oh no it's fine well helicopters are kind of a big deal in the ufo community they always seem to pop up after or around an abduction i know you're not as well versed in this stuff as we are but they especially black helicopters always tend to end up like hovering or following people along with the men in black but that's again a different episode but I think you'll actually enjoy listening to this one because he, Terry's got some crazy stories. TerryLovelace.com. You can find his books on Amazon. So enjoy the chat, and we will see you next week. Incident at Devil's yeah. Den. I know you've rehashed it. Do you mind talking about it? Yeah, a do you mind times. talking about it a little bit? No. Just kind of okay. just love to. quick. Oh, okay, great. It doesn't have to be quick. Just run through whatever, you know, uh, efficient way that you've, you know, found to tell this story, this crazy story that you actually have to read the book to get all the juicy details. Well, on, on your bio, I know on your website, you go right up until the moment you guys are in the tent and then you're like, oh, okay, this happened. And then you stop there on the bio so and we've obviously read past that but i was looking at your bio today and i was like whoa this is the whole book um one thing that i had forgotten about from the book was the monkey men from your childhood all the childhood experiences you had when you were little and that i completely had forgotten about that that it kind of followed you your whole life and even into last year like it's it's they marked you i mean yeah you know the guys are you familiar Oh, the, the echo's back. Weird. Ah. <laughs> do you know? Do you guys know the uh, TTSA guys to the Stars Academy? Yeah. Andos, Tom, Tom DeLong, yeah. Yep, yep. Uh, Hal put off, uh, you know, the whole gang. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Tom DeLong called me in uh, May of 2018 oh, wow. and said, uh, you know, we'd like to uh, take a look at your x-rays because I had the original x-rays. Yeah. And I sent them to him and we had a long talk on the phone and he sent a medical doctor down to Dallas, who spent two days with me. Nice guy. He asked me not to use his name, so I respect that, and I won't. No worries. Um, but he's also a federal agent, so he was able to get 
from the Dallas VA. Dallas VA gave me a hassle getting my x-rays. They did not want to give them to me. So I'm like, look, guys, I know how to do this. I'll take you to federal court in Dallas and, you know, and I'll raise hell and I will get my x-rays. So they gave me two. Come to find out they took 24 shots. Oh, wow. Wow. So this doctor from TTSA uh, was able to get like a dozen other films and was able to triangulate them and tell exactly how deep these things were in my knee, which was kind of cool. And then uh, Lou Elizondo came out and spent two days with me. Uh, I had had, uh, and this sounds really cliche, man, but it's true. I had these helicopters buzzing our house, uh, military helicopters. Uh, I took pictures of them trying to get the, the numbers off of them so I could identify who was, who was harassing me. Because it really was harassment. I mean, they would do donuts over my house. And, yeah. You know. Uh, so Lou wanted to see that. So he came and spent uh, two days and filmed my story. And, uh, he, of course, the two days he was there, none of them showed up. Until the, the evening of the second day, we went in the late afternoon, we went to a restaurant, a uh, Mexican restaurant near my house. And uh, it's on a main drag uh, of, of Garland, uh, long main drag. And we're coming out of the restaurant about five o'clock in the uh, afternoon, late afternoon. And as we're walking to our cars, uh, here is a huge out-drab military helicopter, probably doing 200 miles an hour, 400 feet off the ground, right up the middle of the street, right over our heads. And Lou's like, I get it now. I get I get I got it. I got it. <laughs> Wow. So, Did you ever try to take any pictures of them? Or? I have 168 pictures of them. Damn. Uh, they, uh, they were around for like seven months. And they would wow. come three times a week. Um, and they come usually 9 a.m. in the morning, between 9 and 11. Uh, when usually the, outside of my old home, there was the sun was here and a huge tree was here. So my line of sight was limited to like 180 degrees in back of me. But I got, man, I got pictures of helicopters like crazy. And, uh, you know, I looked up the law because uh, I got, I remember a little bit about aviation law. I knew where to go to look it up. And it says that uh, helicopters must display the alphabetical uh, character in, like Nancy. Yeah. And it's got to be so many inches tall, so many inches wide. And then it's followed by a numerical sequence that identifies that particular aircraft. And uh, I took these, I took pictures of this stuff, and none of these, none of these helicopters had any numbers lettering on them whatsoever. None. Wow. And at the bottom of the law, at the bottom of the code, there's a, an exemption, uh, an exemption for it just says federal agencies. Huh. So. They were, That's yeah. pretty vague. Federal agents. <laughs> Crazy. Pretty vague, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so. Wow. I, it just makes me wonder what's really going on. I mean, there's so much. Did you guys hear about Haim uh, uh, Ashed, the, uh, the guy from Israel? No. Uh, oh, my God, this is huge news. Oh, um, yeah, the Israeli, the former Israeli um, military guy that was saying that he talked to a galactic space Oh, yeah, agency that's just from a couple days ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Yep, my, do got, my daughter told me that. Oh, really? Yeah, I have friends in Israel who tell me that this guy is like ultra respected. Uh, he's been a, a general in charge of uh, all their space stuff, mm -hmm. uh, and then a a university professor. 
So ten years. what I thought was weird about that particular story is that he came out and said, we've been in contact, what I, the gist of it was that we've been in contact with the, the Galactic Federation, but that humans aren't ready yet. So why are you coming out and telling us about it then if we aren't ready yet? I thought that was really strange. Probably because he thinks humans should probably be ready. <laughs> it's not I, his choice. But he, in the process of telling us that they're in contact with aliens, he was saying humans aren't ready yet. It's like, so why you, Most why would humans. you tell us that then? It's yeah. the very next sentence. It's the very next sentence after that when he states that humans aren't ready to comprehend the nature of, I'm quoting, space and spacecraft. Yeah. That struck me as a really odd thing to say. What is it about the nature of space and spacecraft that would wig us out, you know, cause riots in New York and Tokyo or something? I don't know. Oh, yeah. yeah because wow. it's not what we're taught. It's not what we think it is. Well, it's what... something completely different, whether we're being farmed or whether we're in a simulation or what. I mean, I don't know. I'm not claiming to know, but it's something that is clearly uh, something that would completely freak a lot of people out. There's a... A lot of weird speculation the last couple of years, especially about what space actually is. And um, what do you think it is? Because there's people that think it's actually more of a liquid and that there's some kind of barrier. And we're kind of like almost in a snow globe type of idea. But with your experience, I think you'd probably have your own unique perspective on that. Yeah, you know, I I think, um, you know, I, I've been fortunate in that um, I call her my handler, Betty. Uh, I called her Sue when I was a kid. Yeah. Um, I, I think that they've given me tidbits of information. Um, and what I've been told um, is that space is, an or is a living organism. Whoa. And if you think about it, you know, we can only see 5% of the universe. I mean, everything that we see, all the stars, all the, all the galaxies, dogs, cats, cars, everything, with microscopes, telescopes, whatever, is only 5% of the universe because they can measure it. They know how much is there. Yeah. So 95% of what's out there, we can't see or even detect. Yeah. All we can do is we can identify that it's there because the effect that it has on other celestial bodies. Yeah. So, man, I mean, we're like Helen Keller, you know? We, yeah, <laughs> totally. We don't have the ability to, to perceive uh, what's out there. But, yeah, I've been told that... that it's a it's a interconnected living thing, and that it's organic, and that um, some of the ships that they come here in are actually alive, are actually sentient living things. I've heard yeah. that a couple times too, and that they're the ships themselves are organic, and that they're controlled. Some of them could be controlled, I guess, by themselves. I mean, but it's like riding other a ones robotic, do passengers. It's like riding a robotic horse in the Western times. I mean, it's like. <laughs> That's your robotic yeah. horse. <laughs> but so, you know what? If I, when I think about his comment about understanding the nature of space and spaceships, that was the first thing that crossed my mind is that people would be wigged out because of that. Uh, I don't know why they would be wigged out about that. I'm not wigged out about that. <laughs> I'm not wigged out about anything anymore, especially after this year. Nothing's going to surprise me. You could tell me space is um, the, the, <laughs> the brain of God, and I'd be like, well, it kind of makes sense, I guess. Yeah, I'll buy that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah right. <laughs> So I thought, um, well, here, so Sue or Betty, I thought she told you at the end of your book, Incident at Devil's Den, that you would never be abducted again, that you wouldn't be taken again, and you wouldn't be hurt again. So do you exactly still... That's what she told me. She did. So she why... Said, do you still see her? You know what? I have weird dreams 
I got that echo back again. Oh, sorry. Um, no, 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 that's okay. Um, I have weird dreams, and I can't say that I've had, uh, well, I have. Uh, November 21st of 2019, I was in my study here writing, and uh, I could detect motion to my left, and I felt that calm sensation wash all over me. And I turned my head to the left, and she was there, and uh, this was only the second time that the entity Betty had visited me. And she told me that the world was about to, the world is about to change, that on February 1st, changes will take place, and that there'll be the United Nations will be visited by uh, extraterrestrials on February 1st of 2020 of 2021. Oh. Pardon, oh. of 2020. Of 2020. Oh, okay. This okay. Year, this year. Yeah, okay. Uh, and she said then on February 2nd, it will be a new world. Now, I took that to be a positive thing when it <laughs> happened, and this whole interaction lasted about 30 seconds. Um, but what's crazy is, um, you guys know Whitley Strieber, right? Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. So I spent a week with Whitley uh, in June of last year at a Lakota uh, Indian reservation in South Dakota for a kind of a, it was weird. There were no public attendees. There were just experiencers. Um, we were the guest of uh, Chief Dallas Eagle, is his name, uh, and his wife, Becky. And um, the, on their reservation, they had a problem with UFOs scaring their horses, scaring their children, scaring their tribal members. And they wanted us there to talk to them and explain to them what we know about this stuff and uh, see if we can uh, explain it and help them to understand it so that they won't be so afraid. Uh, and we saw we saw a UFO, of course. It's crazy. <laughs> uh, we were watching some tribal dancers, 2 o'clock in the afternoon, who were putting on a uh, show for, for our benefit, and there was a white disc in the sky, uh, pretty high up because it was small, but it was it was crystal clear. There were no clouds to speak of. And it was this perfect white circle, and it was standing perfectly still. And we watched it. We all watched it for maybe 20 minutes. Some people have pictures of it. And then it, it ejected like this black mist, um, like a gas or something. And then it just shrunk down and evaporated. Boom, it was gone. So you think we all had really it, crazy experiences. Do you think so it just with, disappears like that, or do you think it's zipping off so fast it looks like it disappears? Because I've heard both. But I think – You know, it could have been either. Yeah, because really, I mean, if it went up at, you know, 2000 miles an hour, it would have the same illusion of it shrinking down and disappearing. So right. I guess yeah. I guess it could be either. So with what yeah. you know, how, how do you explain to those people that it's OK? I mean, they wanted you to explain you with your experiences that you've had, which are terrifying to explain what you know and calm these people down. How do you do that when you know that it's terrifying? Well, and. And that's what I said. And I said, well, look, you know, and, you know, over 40 years, my, my uh, anger has kind of subsided. I'm not as angry with them as I used to be. I don't, you know, want to take a gun and shoot them necessarily now. But I can, you know, because I really don't think, I, I think the injuries that we suffered uh, were probably more like collateral damage. I mean, it wasn't intended to be a torture session. It was just. Uh, it's like they knew that you would be okay in the end. And they're like, calm down. You're going to be fine. Yeah, my friend Toby was not so fine. Um, I know. 
Well, yeah. And he didn't fare well. Well, he took all the pills. Like, yeah, he was, he's, poor guy was a mess. He, uh, uh, but of course, I'm not sure if uh, they poisoned us or if maybe the Air Force may have poisoned us. Um, I think I mentioned in my book about this, those pills they sent us home with. Oh, yeah. And I go into that in, in great detail in my in this new book that's coming out. Oh, and I also okay. explain what happened to Toby and how I went about trying to find him. And uh, it's an interesting story. FBI agent. I, I, I was working in the law in the 80s and I had this uh, case that involved the FBI and I got to know this agent pretty well. And we used to on Friday nights after work, you know, meet at the bar and have a couple beers and um and talk. And uh, I asked him one night, I said, Hey, can you help me find this friend of mine? I was in the, in the air force with, and he said, sure, I can find anybody as long as they're not a fugitive. No, that's, that's supposed to be a joke. That's FBI humor. Cause that's what they do. They come for fugitives. Right? So, yeah. so it wasn't funny, but I laughed anyway, you know, and he laughed at his own joke. Uh, but he said, yeah, I can find you. I can find your friend, I think. And he told me to bring him everything, write down on a piece of paper, everything that I could remember about him, you know, parents' names, addresses, anything that would help me find the guy, help, you know, be of help. So I, I did. And it's amazing how much you can remember about someone when you work night shift with them for three years. So I brought him, you know, a couple of sheets of paper typed up and, and put it in an envelope and dropped it off his, at his office. Uh, and about two weeks later, he called me up and he says, uh, meet me at the bar. I got, uh, I got some info on your buddy. And I'm like, great, yeah, see you there. So I get there at the normal time. He's like 10 minutes late, and he walks in all somber looking. And he comes over and he says, I got bad news for you, Terry. Your friend is dead. And I said, he's dead? What do you mean he's dead? He's a young man. How can he be dead? And he says, it was an automobile accident on, on Highway 94 out of Flint. He said it was a head-on collision. He said, stuff happens, Terry. You know, uh, uh, you know, we're human beings. We're mortal. It happens. And uh, you know that it happens. And uh, I'm very sorry. Uh, but, you know, pick up your life and go on with it. Uh, so I did. And, you know, I, I could very easily, because uh, I was practicing in Michigan at the time, I very easily could have gone to the Michigan State Police Headquarters in East Lansing and, and looked for the accident report. And, and I didn't do that. I just took his word for it. And uh, when I was writing the book in 2017, I decided I wanted to look up his obit. And uh, I was thinking about finding his gravesite and maybe making a run up to Michigan. So uh, I found out I did find his obit, but he didn't die until September 1st, 2007. Huh. So this FBI agent lied to me. Whoa. I mean, he had, I, he had to lie to me because, I mean, I couldn't see him. All the FBI agents I knew were stand-up people. I mean, they really were very smart, very articulate, very, uh, you know, just very smart people. Uh, and just uh, not the kind of people that would, would lie to you. So, Well, we have a general... His, uh, do you think his hand was maybe forced? Like, do you think he was a little forced? I mean, based on what you know and, like, what you were putting out there, do you think maybe he was gotten to... And someone said, hey, tell this guy this happened and let him go on his merry way. Yeah, I, I think that. As a matter of fact, the guys from TTSA told me that there's a file somewhere. Um, they told me that I'm a targeted individual. Had you guys ever heard the term before? Oh, yeah. I mean, okay, yeah, I'm not I, surprised I not. at all. I'm a targeted that... individual. <laughs> For <so>. sure. <laughs> uh, 
They also said that there's a file somewhere that the FBI would look up on me that um, would probably have a note in it, keep these two guys apart, you know. Two people together makes a story much more credible than one person. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, and the fact that they, they separated you guys immediately after you had your experience, they separated you, said you couldn't talk to each other, your wives couldn't talk to each other, right? That's right. That's right. And that's not, that's not unusual, you know. I put that uh, email address in the back of my book, Devil's Den, and I said, look, if you've had an experience, I'm not a doctor or therapist, but, you know, send me an email and tell me about it. Well, since March of 2018, I've received 1,400 plus emails. Wow. Oh, wow. So, um, and there's a core group of about 400 of those emails that are just incredible stories. I mean, just would blew me away. And, uh, um, were any I of took, them similar to yours? I'm sorry. I don't mean to cut you off. Were any of them so no, similar to yours that they... Unbelievably similar. Wow. Unbelievable. The commonalities are just insane. Um, and I've got, uh, you know, I got people from South Africa, from Australia, uh, a lady from Austria. I got, you know, people all over the world. Um, my book sells in 11 countries. Wow. And uh, they all have, I mean, irrespective of the country, they all... Uh, uh, just commonalities. Like, for instance, I I felt this odd feeling that I couldn't reconcile that I really didn't want anything to do with Toby after this, huh. and I had trouble understanding that because this guy was my best friend. But uh, and I did go to see him one time before you know violated orders and went and saw him, and it was very uncomfortable. It was a very uncomfortable uh, feeling. But I found out that. People tell me that they witnessed something in a group of friends or even a fam bunch of family members, and nobody will talk about it. And if there's a group of friends that see this, the friend, the, the group, the band of friends will disband, and everybody will go their separate ways. Um, and there's a great explanation or example of this. Um, there's a group called the Allagash Four, um, from four guys that took a, a fishing trip off the Allagash River in Maine. They were uh, twin brothers um, and then two, uh, two other guys. They were college age at the time. And they went on this, um, they went on this fishing trip. And this is a very famous case. They've been on television. They've been hypnotized and regressed. And uh, uh, they have amazing stories, so very similar to mine. Uh, but what they did was they wanted to night fish. So they were on the lake, and they built this humongous bonfire. I mean, you know, a bonfire that would burn for, you know, eight hours. Uh, and they built it on the shore because that way, while they're out in the middle of the lake, they can't get they can't get lost. They can always use that as a beacon to find their way back to their campsite. So as they're rowing out, um, they see a light. And one guy says, is that the moon? And they're looking at that. No, they, that's not the moon. And uh, they saw this huge white glowing object get closer and closer to them and it lit up the whole inside of the canoe and um, they were all terrified and then boom memory gone they, they black out their next memory is um, they're all rowing toward what's left of the campfire and the campfire is just embers and it's just breaking dawn Wow! so they got back to the campsite and Nobody said a word. Nobody said a word about uh, what happened. Did you see what I saw? And that's human nature to debrief, you know. And they didn't do any of that. They just 
they went to bed, you know, like Toby and I did. Yeah. And then afterward, even the twins grew apart. Um, and finally, one of the twin brothers called the other and said, man, I'm having these crazy dreams about that fishing trip. And his brother admitted, I'm having the exact same dreams. And that's when they consulted a psychiatrist and uh, looked into hypnosis and, and found out they'd been abducted. That is a wow. weird thread that kind of seems common with these when there's shared abductions that these people, they don't want to talk about it or they act like it didn't happen. Yeah, that's what you said it's, in your book. That especially the ones that are on the road when they're driving the classic, you know, you're driving down a deserted highway and there's a light, your car stops working. There's so many stories like that and almost all of them, the people just kind of go, eh, whatever, let's keep driving. Yeah, there's like a weird apathy, yeah. like you said in the book. It's like an apathetic, oh, okay, no big deal. This happens all the time. It's fine. Disinterest? Yeah, it, it's yeah. just crazy. Well, I think I think that, that demonstrates the uh, influence that they have over us. It's yeah. terrifying, so. that influence, that they can control our emotions to control our actions. That's absolutely yeah. terrifying. That, I mean, I guess it just makes me want to do mind exercises every day because it's absolutely terrifying what they could do. They could make us zombies at any time. I mean, honestly. Well, if they have that kind of yeah. control, uh, they could basically do whatever they want. We couldn't stop it. But that's what they do. I mean, according to your story, they f people don't remember these abduction experiences and what you said, Sue or Betty would calm you. And I've heard, uh, we've researched this stuff. I mean, we've heard a lot of different stories, but there's usually an entity that will calm the person through like mind control where they send a calm over them while they're being basically tortured or prodded or poked or experimented on. And they're just, yes. yeah. And there's something going into them where it's like, oh no, it's totally fine. And they're maybe internally you know, freaking out, but they don't freak out because those beings don't want them to freak it, out. It's almost like a mental you said morphine. The being was pissed at you because you were freaking out. You were, you know, hey, stop doing this. And the thing was mad. It was like, why are you freaking out? Stop it. Yeah. Yeah. Why are you screaming? Stop screaming. You know, we take you home. You know, we don't hurt you. Now stop screaming. Yeah. But you're like, but it hurts now, dude. I live in the moment. I'm a human. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's like giving a dog a shot. You're like, calm down. You're going to be fine when yeah, we get you home. Yeah, and we do that. We do that to animals, though. Like, we do that currently. We're like, calm down. We're just branding you, cow. Just You're going to go back in the field. That's how I feel like we are to these things a little bit. I think so, too. You know what? I've got a good example about that. And uh, let, let me get into the, the story a little bit. Yes. Um, and tell you some things that, that didn't make it into the book. Okay. Um, uh, in my new book, I've got a chapter about my... Uh, my cousin, I had a cousin from Arkansas who was having the same, the same time I'm undergoing this stuff with the monkey men as a kid. He's undergoing this thing with uh, clowns in his room. Ooh, that's well, I worse. Guess, I guess they thought a circus theme suits the Lovelace family <laughs> for some reason. Uh, but uh, I, I, that's a very interesting story. It's a very interesting true story. And, and I, I put that in. So I think people will find that interesting. But uh one of the things I, I know that I didn't put in there was the, um, or I don't think I put in there, was the uh, six-foot-tall guy with a pinkish-gray complexion. I had no cartilage, so he had no ears, no no nostril. Pardon me, just nostrils, no no nose, just um, skin and bones. <laughs> yeah, and and yeah, um, he looked ET-like. He was humanoid, but he looked ET-like, and that he had no ears, no nose, just a slit for a mouth, two nostrils. Uh, sparse hair, uh, and his complexion, like I said, was an odd color. It was a whitish pink. Ugh. And, uh, yeah, 
And like, he like had, the communion uh, cover? The black eyes. Yeah, he had these, you know, they weren't like huge, exaggerated, like in the motion pictures. These were like a pair of, of uh, wraparound Ray-Bans. Ugh. Yeah. Okay. It's almost worse. And uh, <laughs> it, it was, it was, it was, well, I noticed him because uh, the only thing I could move was my eyes. Um, I couldn't, when I was standing there holding my clothing in my hands, and we're in like this huge atrium of this thing, and Toby's to my left. And um, I noticed this guy, there were a lot of the little gray guys running around all over the place, but there was this one guy who was six foot tall, so he stood out, uh, and he was closer to me, so I could I could kind of see, I could see that he was wearing like a, a V-neck sweater kind of garment. I didn't see any insignia of rank or anything on it. I couldn't see what kind of footwear he had because there were people in the way or little gray guys in the way. Um, but he's to my left and I'm straining my eyes to the left as far as I can. And he turned his head and just by happenstance, we locked gaze. And the second we locked eyes and of all the things that happened to me in a ship, this was the scariest thing. And this is the thing that plagues my sleep the worst. This guy was in my head. I mean, he knew me, he knew my wife, he knew my secrets. Um, and the example that I give that I should have put in the book and I didn't was when, when our kids were little, we had a uh, English setter, you know, and, uh, you know, he was just a great family pet. And he would uh, come over and put his head in my lap and I would pet him and um, he would look up at me with those big brown eyes, you know, and just, you know, reflecting loyalty and love and and the idea that he knew that I was the alpha, you know, yeah, um, but I but I provided him with everything that he needed and love and attention. Um, so I look into his eyes and there was trust. Uh, and we each knew our respective roles. When I locked eyes with this guy, I felt like I was the dog in the equation. It was a, a humbling experience. Um, whatever this thing was, it was 500 rungs up the evolutionary ladder from us uh, because I felt just incredibly inadequate. As a human, wow! I thought, how long did that yeah. whole experience last? Like you last? felt no love from it, or did it seconds? Oh wow! I'm sorry. What was your question? Like you felt no love from it, or no um, respect from it in any way. It was just like no. It was. You know what it was? It was raw intellect. That's what. That's what mirrored back from those eyes. Like uh, an AI type of thing. Well, it's like us looking at a group of ants. Yeah, maybe so. Just like eh. Yeah, you know I. I think, you know, they they uh, they probably think of us as somewhere between mold in a Petri dish and, uh, you know, a lab rat. I think there's some of them, though. It's weird. Like, even the hybrids, maybe Betty, Sue, but the hybrids seem to have some sort of kindness towards us, some sort of empathy. Unless in it's programmed way. in. No, I mean, they're part of us. I mean, if they're half human and half whatever they are, they can kind of understand, like, uh okay, like I get, I kind of get that you feel this way. No, that is weird though, the Petri dish analogy, because if a Petri dish could look back up at a human under, you know, looking at it under a microscope, that's all it would notice is pure intellect. The Petri dish wouldn't be noticing any emotion from the human looking at it, you know, through the microscope. So they could be, we could be that far detached from this. And what's scary is, you know, uh, it's easy to discard a Petri dish in a trash can and 
not give it two thoughts. Yeah. So, yeah, same with plants. Or really worry thing. about what that fungi is feeling at any particular time. You're just scraping it and prodding it and yeah. throwing it away. We don't understand how it processes anything, so we're just like, oh, you're not the same as me. Bye. We'll start again. Yeah. That's what scares me about it. But we move and talk and we have a language and they see us do that. I guess that's my problem with the whole, you know, alien. If they're abducting us and they see that we move and talk and they move and talk in a similar manner. I mean, they have two arms, two legs, similar face. I'm not saying that they're the same as us, but they are. They look a little bit similar, more similar than we do to plants. And they just discard us like we're a plant or a Petri dish. I just don't understand that, that we look so similar and they won't take the time. I think we should take the time to understand a Petri dish or a plant. I'm a weirdo. I'm very interested in the biology of plants and how they think and feel. I think that's a whole different thing. But we are so similar to them and they won't even take the time to understand our language or our emotions. That's what makes me think they're not entirely physical in that. Maybe the way that you see them or we, however you see any of these, these weird phenomenon is how they want us to see it. No, but if that was the case, they would just, but they could make themselves look way more like us then and not be as terrifying. Well, they don't really care either. (laughs) That's an interesting uh, point. And and I've given that a lot of thought and I don't have an answer. And that is, you know, because I believe, I don't believe, I know that the entity that I know as Sue is the same entity that I knew as, uh, the entity I call Betty is the same entity that I knew as Sue when I was eight, between four and seven years old, and they used to take me. And uh, I had this strong maternal feeling for her. Now, you know, is that program? I know they can influence me. Is that programmed into me? Or is that a, I, I feel like it's a genuine feeling that originates, you know, from me. Yeah. Um, because this, she has always, especially when I was a kid, I remember her being kind to me. Um, she was kindest to you during your hardest moments, though. She was there for you when you were being terrified as a child, being abducted. She was kind of like there for you. She was like your liaison between these things and also like comforting. I mean, it was like the only thing you had. It, it was. and uh, But, you know, when, when I was uh, taken in 1977... Um, I thought to call for Sue, uh, mentally at least, uh, and Sue never came. So in that regard, she let me down. But, uh, you know, who knows the hierarchy here? I mean, maybe maybe that was uh, not in her pay grade. Maybe that was not in her her purview or her, uh, you know. For sure. I mean, yeah, I would be willing to bet she wasn't allowed. They're like, no, 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 we have this one. (laughs) You know what? Let me... uh, I can go through Devil's Den, deciding uh, the thing. But you know what? I've got a couple of uh, really cool stories that are in my book. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Whatever short. you want to talk about, man. And, Absolutely. Uh, yeah. Let me let me say I had. Uh, I condensed these fourteen hundred emails down to about four hundred. Oh, uh, I was just going to ask you if you wanted to talk about some of these emails. So yes, please do. I, I would love to share these stories because yes. they are they are so cool. Uh, the. Uh, Matter of fact, it's I, I call them cases because that mm-hmm. is the way I think. And case number one is from this lady from Henderson, Nevada, who sent me an email. And all of these people, I, I'm not going just by an email. I've established contact with them. We've talked on the phone. Some of these people I've met in person. So uh, I tried to vet them as best that I could. 
to make sure because some of the people, you know, weren't real consistent with the stories. And sometimes it's pretty easy to uh, tell which ones are just spinning no, yarns yeah. too. Sorry. Yeah, it, it is. <clears throat> so this woman is 77 years old, living in Henderson, Nevada. She read my book, sent me an email and said, my husband, Paul, my ex, or, you know, her deceased husband. And I had this experience in 1968. And I wrote her back and I said, yeah, I'd love to, I'd love to hear your story. So she sent me an email and said that she was married to a guy, uh, a gentleman named Paul. And they were fairly, this was, they were just recently married uh, in 1968. Uh, he was a nephrologist, a, a kidney doctor. And uh, she had a, a completed a degree in uh, uh, liberal arts, spine arts, something. Uh, and her job was she stayed at home and, uh, did charity work. That was what she did. Um, and uh, what they did was they, they lived in Las Vegas. Henderson really wasn't, I don't think, built at that time. Uh, so they lived in Las Vegas. Uh, her husband worked at the hospital in Las Vegas, but they had friends in Reno and she had a sister in Reno. So once a month, they would drive from Las Vegas to Reno to visit their friends. Uh, and they always took the same route. There really was only one route. Um, I forget the name of the highway. It's still there. Uh, the, the trip is like 240 miles. And uh, they, she said that her, her husband, Paul, had a, uh, they went on an anniversary trip to France and they bought a Peugeot automobile, uh, which I thought was kind of cool. She said, yeah, it was a really unique car. It was, you know, her husband's toy. Because, and it really was a unique car. Uh, so she had a picture of it, actually. Very cool. So. They uh, had planned a trip, their monthly trip to Reno, and Paul got tied up at the hospital. They would normally leave around three o'clock in the afternoon, but because of uh, him getting tied up with something, um, they didn't get to leave until six. And they thought about canceling their trip, but they already had a room reserved and they were like, well, you know, we can sleep in the next day. What, what difference does it make? You know, run, run into a little traffic, but we can live with it. So, so they made their trip at night. Um, and the halfway point between Las Vegas and Reno, there is a like gas station, restaurant, truck stop kind of thing. The classic horror movie setting. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and it's still there. It's called the Stagecoach. Um, and uh, they would they would stop there and get gas and fuel. And this night they did. They stopped there. They got gas. They ate a big meal. And we went out and they got back in their car and they headed uh, headed north and west to, to head to Reno. They were 10 miles outside of city limits of uh, Tunapa is the name of the town. T-O-O-N-A-P-A-H, Tunapa. So they're 10 miles outside city limits. Tunapa is a little bitty place, right? And um, they're driving and they see on the right-hand side of the road this Christmas store. And she says, I was shocked because I had never seen a store before devoted strictly to a holiday. That was just, she'd never seen a store devoted to Christmas before. <laughs> and she said that the store sat back from the roadways. And she said the thing was just insanely lit. It was just light pouring out of every window. Uh, and there were strings of um, Christmas lights wrapped around it. And some are twinkling and some are flashing and some are just static. Um, but it's lit up like crazy. Uh, and a big sign that says X-Mass over it. Um, 
And she's like, oh, my gosh, you know, and it was like 10 o'clock at night. And she says she told Paul, please stop. You know, we it looks like they're here. open. Uh, I, I want to see this. Uh, so he's like, sure, uh, <laughs> kind of grudgingly. So he pulls over to the side of the road and um, they're looking and there's no parking lot. There's just sand and sagebrush in front of this thing. So that's he's like, well, that's weird. Fuck. How do you get in there? And then they notice there are no cars there. And there's no road in back of the place. It's just desert. So they're pulled over to the side of the road. And she doesn't think they lost time, but she said there's just something off about those few minutes, seconds, or however long they had pulled over in front of this place. Uh, and Paul said, well... I'm going to get back on the road and see if there's a drive up, up ahead. But, you know, they already knew that there was no road there. So they ended up heading toward uh, Reno. And she said that it was it was very strange because she slept. You know, uh, she said her husband works 60, 70 hours a week. So normally that was valuable time that they'd use to talk and catch up. Uh, and they didn't talk. She slept all the way to Reno city limits. Huh. And they were out of sorts for the next 24 hours or so. Um, and they didn't really talk about it, but they both admitted later that it was on their minds and, uh, they had a fairly normal visit. And on the way back, they said, well, we're going to stop. It's daylight now. We're going to, we're going to stop at this place. Uh, so they're driving back on a Monday and there is no Christmas store. Oh my gosh. They can't find it. Doesn't it? There's nothing there. So, but they're, they're kind of in a hurry to get back. So they don't stop and they go home and they're both confused. And uh, they start comparing memories. Uh, and Paul remembered it as being a wooden structure made out of like aged barn wood. And uh, they both remember that it had a front porch that extended the whole length of the building. And that the inside was insanely lit. And they could see motion inside, but not identify figures. But her memory differs from his in that she recalls it being a brick building. And... Uh, she says she told, admitted to her husband, you know, look, I just can't get this thing off my mind. Why don't we this Saturday? We got nothing on the calendar. Why don't we drive up there again and have lunch and, and scope this place out? It has to be there. You know, we had to have just drove past it and uh, missed it. Uh, so they did. They got up early that next Saturday morning and they drove up there. And according to Olivia, uh, they got there and, it, you know, 10 miles past the town, they drove. They drove 15 miles past the town, nothing, turned around, came back the other way, turned around, went back again, <coughs> Pardon. And then came back, and there's no Christmas store. And they're both in shock, you know, because they're so certain they knew what they saw. So they went to the stagecoach where there, where, the, where there were kind of regulars, they were known there. And they asked the waitress, they said, you know, when did you guys, when did Tunip get a Christmas store on the highway? And the lady's like, Christmas store? What are you nuts? I don't know anything about a Christmas store. <laughs> And uh, and she says, well, look, we you know we know what we saw we saw this this new structure this new business built, and uh, she said, well, why don't you talk to uh, the guy that ran the restaurant? She said his name was Yang. Mr. Yang is the president of the Chamber of Commerce, and she says he's here. If anybody would know anything about a new commercial structure in Tunapa, it's going to be him. Uh, I'll send him over, and uh, you guys can talk to him about it. So. She said that this Mr. Yang came over and was 
very courteous and very kind, and they asked him to join them, and he did, and he gave him a quick uh, history of the town, which wasn't much, and uh, they told him what he what they saw, and he said, you know, I I, I don't know. I don't know what you saw, but I know that this, that there's not been a new business registered in Tunapah for eight months, and that was a florist downtown. There's no new structure built. I, w- I would be aware of it. I know it. Was it and, a florist uh, that sold Christmas lights, though? No, it was probably a <laughs> no, UFO, yeah, right. and that was a screen memory. <laughs> screen memory, yeah. Yeah, it was a UFO they saw. Oh, yeah, for sure. It was totally Absolutely. a UFO. Yeah. Absolutely. So they go home, and you know? They spend 40 years having nightmares about a Christmas store. Wow. You know? That's and, awful. Uh, and just characteristically, Paul would never talk to her about it. Uh, he'd have nightmares, but not discuss them. Okay. And um, they uh, they made they, their, their monthly trips to Tunapa turned into like once or twice a year. Huh. So uh-huh. kind of ruined the... Uh, Ruined the trip for them. Are you aware of any That's more horrible. stories out of that area of UFO sightings, or? Yes, fourteen hundred. Yeah. <laughs> no, I mean out of that oh, no, out of that kidding. specific area, though. Oh no. well, a lot of Utah, no, no, no. Nevada, like that area is pretty, like high strangeness. You know, I I, I got a really good similar story. There's the echo again. Oh, I'm sorry. Really good similar story. I got this uh, email from this woman who is a uh, nurse anesthetist uh, living in Kentucky, and I was able to uh, track her name through the uh, uh, Kentucky Department of Nursing and find out she actually was an RN, and she was registered as a nurse anesthetist, and she was 66 years old. She was getting ready to retire, and um, she she and her partner... uh, had moved from, the family was originally in Oklahoma, and uh, after she got out of nursing school, she got a good job in Kentucky, so that's how she ended up in Kentucky. But when she was a little girl, when she was nine years old, and her younger sister, Molly, was seven, they used to go every year to see their maternal grandparents in kind of western part of Oklahoma. Uh, They had a farm there. They had a single oil well, uh, you know, that paid for their college. And... um, they, they, they spent two weeks there as a vacation every summer. They just loved their grandparents. They were just beautiful people. They had fun. Um, the farm was set up with this long, like a mile-long driveway. And the front yard was just nicely cut, manicured, trees, lots of flowers. And there was a berm um, made out of uh, dirt uh, with a road on top that bisected the property. It cut across and... Uh, to find the front yard and then the back. And then over this berm, there was, you know, the farm with the barn and animals and uh, most importantly, a farm pond uh, that was like 12 feet deep. So the girls knew the rules. They could not go over the berm because there was danger back there. And, uh, you know, they this is like the fourth year that they can recall going there. So they knew the rules and they were good kids and they, they, they weren't being monitored this year. They, you know, normally there would be a, an adult out there with them while they play. Well, this, they thought, you know, they, they're good girls. They know the rules, right? So she says that she and her sister are chasing butterflies and just doing all kinds of fun stuff seven- and nine-year-old girls do. And uh, Julia said that she heard calliope music. 
uh, like a circus and uh, a calliope. I, I did a little research on this, and back in the day, for like these rural communities in the middle of nowhere, they, there were these traveling circuses that would have you know a couple of exotic animals, and um, they all they all had uh, this thing called a calliope, which was a steam-operated type of pipe organ. You know these long tubes and uh and they play music on this thing oh is that the and that's it, what they heard. is that the thing that's like the do 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 bingo yeah oh that is terrifying to hear that <laughs> out of context yeah, at least <laughs> but, you know and and she julia says molly do you hear that and uh that goes back yeah, they're, they're they're listening and she said that they both looked at each other and said, it's a circus, you know. And um, Bali says to Julia, can we go, Julia? Can we go? Can we go see? Because the noise is coming from, of course, from the other side of the berm. And uh, Julia says, Molly, you know the rules. We have to go ask Grandpa. Uh, we can't go over the berm. And Julia, like a good lawyer, says, yeah, but nothing. Grandpa didn't say we couldn't go on top and look over the berm. <laughs> the law is to be interpreted. Yes. So Julia says, sure, let's do that. Right. You know, they're excited. They want to see what's going on. So they climb the top of the berm and she's standing on top of this road. Uh, you know, the road, that, like a dirt road that was used to bring a tractor from point A to point B. And she says that they saw a carousel with the horses this is very similar to the christmas story yeah why i chose it uh it's crazy similar to the christmas story story uh she said this calliope or pardon me this this carousel or merry-go-round whatever you want to call it with the horses was like three times bigger than anything they'd ever seen that it was just to the right of the pond over a area of just dirt but it's four feet off the ground because they can see this noonday sun cast this shadow. They can see this big, perfect shadow underneath the thing. It's not on the ground. It's above the ground. And she said the horses looked to be alive and that the thing was spinning so fast that there's no way that anybody could have got on or off the thing. But she said that it was mesmerizing and they couldn't take their eyes off of it. And they laid back on the berm uh, and they're staring at this thing. And they're holding hands and they're just captivated by it and she said just like the christmas store she said this thing was covered with a million lights you know some twinkling some not um sounds familiar and uh, she recalls that they were happy you know they were just really content um and then they were out uh, so the girls are gone grandma and grandpa come out around this time and yell for the girls to come in and there's no girls. So they think, Oh my God. And they start running a search. There's calling their names. They're walking around. And just by, just by coincidence, there was this car that made a wrong turn that was going to actually a neighbor's farm, made a wrong turn and came, turn and came up their long driveway and mom and grandma saw this car turn around as they stepped out on the porch and head back the other way. So they thought, could the girls be kidnapped? You know? So they call neighbors, neighbors get involved with the search. 
They call the police. The sheriff's department comes. They find the car, and of course, it was just at a visitor at a neighbor's house. And uh, Grandpa Jeb calls his VFW hall that sends like 15 guys down there to help hunt. And then um, the sheriff pulls the old man aside and says, you know, we need to check the pond. So he makes a call, and two guys show up in a pickup truck towing a, uh, what he called a John boat. Uh, and they had these two long poles, uh, and they got it on the pond, and Julia said that's when her grandparents broke down and had to go inside. Uh, and these guys had these like 10-foot-long poles, wooden poles, and they would stir up the water in case the girls were in the water they would maybe float to the top. Yeah. So these guys are out in this John boat, and they're stirring up the water, and uh, the guy that's in, one guy's facing forward, one guy's facing backward, and they're both doing their, doing their thing. And the one guy has a view of, uh, from, from his peripheral vision, a view of the backside of the sperm where the girls had laid down. And he says he's sure, he's absolutely certain there was nothing there. And he looks up a millisecond later, and the girls are there. They're both laying there, dry as a bone, holding hands, and sound asleep. Wow. So he yells, we got him. We found him. He screams. Everybody comes running. They see the girls. Um, you know, they wake them up. They find out they're not dead. They're actually alive. They're dry. They, they didn't drown. And uh, everybody is just, you know, crying and happy. And um, where have you been? Where, you know, where have you girls been? Well, we don't know. We just, we were watching the uh, merry-go-round thingy and uh, we went to sleep. So, but what's really interesting is the change in these two girls. Uh, Julia, the older one, had um, got good grades in school up to this point, but had always struggled with math. Well, that autumn when they went back to school, uh, they started, she started off with fractions and she said it was no problem. She had this, suddenly had this gift, this uh, ability with math that uh, just blew her family away. Not only could she understand it, she liked it. And uh, so she did just terrific at school. Molly, on the other hand, went from being this really outgoing, you know, happy-go-lucky kind of little girl to being kind of sullen and withdrawn. And... Um, she said that it was just like whenever they left this farm, that they were two different people. Uh, she said that Molly and her were still sisters, but they were never, ever as close as they were that visit. And they never spoke about it. And she said that Molly graduated from high school, married very young, had a string of marriages, was diagnosed with bipolar disorder, treated with medication, and just had a very rough life. Julia, on the other hand, um, went to nursing school, aced everything. And she says, my only regret is I, I, I didn't go to medical school because I, I, I'm sure I could have handled that. Um, but she became a nurse anesthetist, which is kind of elitist in the, in the RN profession. Totally. And uh, she had a good life and uh, things went well for her. And uh, in six years ago, um, so that would be, what, 1994 or so, uh, Molly develops breast cancer, and um, she takes Family Medical Leave Act time 
and goes to um, uh, Oklahoma from Kentucky to see her sister because her sister is now terminally ill. And um, she said that she gave her sister palliative care and held her hand and, uh, you know, did all that she could. And uh, she said that for the first time in her life, she asked Molly, Molly, can we talk about what happened at Grandpa Jeb's? And she said, and Molly's on her deathbed. Molly turns her face to the wall and says, no. Oh, Jesus. Whoa. And passes away the next day. Holy shit. So they never, they never, they go through a whole lifetime and never had a chance to compare notes or talk about what happened to them. Um, and this woman also, uh, kind of like me in some ways, has had uh, incredible intuition ever since this thing happened. Uh, and she calls it her sixth sense. Uh, you know, it, it doesn't work all the time, but there are times when she'll have flashes of what she referred to as insight. And um, uh, she thinks that that was a gift. She thinks her math was a gift. What she doesn't understand is why were they so kind to her and why did her sister have such a bad outcome from this? And uh, I, I mean, it's probably the I mean, same reason you had a, I mean, I wouldn't say awesome, but you dealt with it apparently a lot better than Toby did. I guess it's subjective yeah, to the person. To you know, a little bit. Everybody's different. What scares me is that they try to trick us with dumbass shit. Like, um, and I hate saying, I'm sorry, like, excuse my language, but the Christmas store, the merry-go-round, they just are like, oh, you're so petty. We'll trick your eyes with this. Like, it makes me think, they just think we're stupid. Like, oh, we'll trick your eyes you with this they, Christmas store. That's you know? very calculated. That's very calculated and very intentional. Uh, yes, exactly. Why that's why it's terrifying. I, I got letters, emails from people saying that when they were my age, when they were four and five, they had owls in their room. Oh, yeah. They had uh, uh, raccoons. Matter of fact, I got a story in my book about a kid with the, that had a raccoon that visited him, walked on two legs and spoke to him <gasps> telepathically. It's like uh, your monkey men. It's the same thing. Little gray men, Disney yeah. characters. I mean, you know, that's like appearing to me as as circus monkeys. I think that they they assume the form that they think is most that we would think is most benign. Yeah, exactly. It's almost like contact with Jodie Foster when the guy. Yeah. Like he uh, portrays himself as her father who's passed away. That's what they do. They're just like, oh, what will be the easiest for you to perceive so that I can most easily gotcha. You know? Yeah, yeah. And, and you know, too, because because they appear in these disguised forms, they know that no parent's going to believe them. You right. Know, I would believe my kids, but... Uh, I know, you know. I would I would believe mine, too, but we're very, like, it. my parents wouldn't believe me. If I said, if I said, hey, the monkey men came to me and they took me outside the house, they'd be like, okay, honey, go back to bed. And it's, yeah. and it's like these things know that, though. That's the scariest thing. They know how we work. The fact that they know how we work and how our emotions work and still aren't interested in learning more about that and caring and being empathetic to that is what's most terrifying to me. Is that they can, it is that they can manipulate us in that way and not try to understand us in a good, loving way. And I'm not trying to be a hippy-dippy weirdo, but like, if they know no, that no, no. that we are um, 
happy about a carousel or a Christmas store, and we just think that's great, and we go have a great time. They can't understand that. They're just going to use it to manipulate us and take us and experiment on us. That's what's terrifying to me. And I, It's kind of like a duck decoy. I, yeah, it is. Like they, it's something they know we want to <laughs> see, so we're going to go there. Yeah, that's what makes me think. It makes me think of animals, the way that people hunt, and I'm not against hunting at all. I'm not. I If people want to hunt for food, go ahead and do it. I don't care. I don't do it. But people can. I don't do it, but yeah. Some yeah, but, like but okay. for sure. Yeah. yeah, I'm not against it. But I feel like that's kind of what these things do with us. They don't understand us. So they hunt us or they um, experiment on us the way that people test uh, shampoo on rabbits or whatever. It's the same thing. Like, <laughs> oh, we're just that to them. Yes, Procter you know? and Gamble. Yeah. Seriously. Yeah. Like, Johnson that's what we are. But we're so much yeah. more. In, uh, I don't want to say we're so much more intelligent. I shouldn't say that. We don't know how rabbits feel. <laughs> we don't. We don't know how animals are. We don't have any comprehension. So, I don't know. I'm kind of an animal rights activist kind of guy. I, I yeah, no. I. So I, when you when you walked away, we were talking about. Um, I had mentioned. I don't know. Maybe you heard me. Uh, the different kinds of echoes back. <sighs> Every time I mention it, though, it seems to go away. So, <laughs> Keep calling it and, out. And it, it's gone. It's gone. Hey, yeah, it's gone now. Yeah. Um, but people were telling me, you know, I saw these little monkeys in my room when I was a kid. I got emails from people that saw rabbits and owls and birds and, and Disney characters and uh, clowns and little gray guys and uh, glowing orbs. Um, just a whole, whole bunch of different um just a smorgasbord you know, of cartoons. Yeah. I mean, you know, <laughs> but I, I think they know what a kid's going to find most benign yeah. and uh, what the parents are not going to believe. Yep. So no, it makes sense. Yeah. yeah. It, there's so many of these stories or ever since I've started looking into this stuff, there's so many of these stories and the, the common thing is that how weird it is. It's always, bizarre there's never like oh this alien came to me and told me to stop blowing each other up with nuclear weapons that happens all the time but it's always something weirder than that like the monkeys or a carousel or you know i there's so many other ones of uh it crosses over into the paranormal area of people seeing fairies and gnomes and all that stuff but there'll be a, a little kid that sees you know a little green man in his room and disappears into a hole in the wall and the more we've talked about this on several episodes, but I, I think all of it's kind of the same thing. The paranormal, the alien, they all, it all just kind of appears in a different way, but it's all kind of the same thing. And it just appears to different people. How, however they think it should be, you know, shown to with the carousel and the Christmas star thing. Well said. I mean, I I think, and I got a letter from a lady. I I think this stuff, I really have come to think that this stuff is all interrelated on some level. I don't know what level. I don't know what the connection is. We're on the same page there, yeah. She said, she said NDE experiences. Um, And uh, those are kind of similar too. Really weird. I hope NDE experience are not the same as alien experiences. But I I kind of... uh, she told me where to go. There's a, uh, on YouTube, there are a ton of videos by uh, an organization called IONS, the International Association of Near-Death Studies. Um, and then there's NDE.org. And then uh, there's this uh, medical doctor. He's an oncologist. 
named uh, Jeffrey Long, who did a uh, study of near-death experiences. And, uh, you know, real credible guy. Um, but anyway, what she was telling me was that that people in the NDE community, because there's an NDE community, just like there's a UFO community, mm-hmm. and people in this NDE community have had since late 2018 this vague anxiety, like something big was going to happen. Uh, and, of course, COVID happened. Um, and uh, she was. we were talking, and I ended up, yeah, we had a long telephone conversation. And um, she said that, and I, I don't know much about Edgar Casey. I read a book about him when I was a kid, but, uh, and I didn't remember this. Edgar Casey said that, um, that we can reincarnate um, and onto different planets, that there are inhabited planets out there with intelligent beings, and uh, we're all kind of under the same purview or same God, and when we die, we our souls go through the same, uh, you know, retread system and can end up on another, on another planet. Just getting recycled. So, yeah. So, so I, was I don't reading- know. She... Uh, <laughs> Oh. Interesting. Who is this? Oh, this woman emailed me and said that oh. the NDE community, that NDEs, near-death experiences, and the UFO phenomena uh, has something in common. They're, 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 the concepts are related somehow. And then she went as far as to say, you know, if you look closely, you know, you'll find that it's all it's all related. You know, ghosts, UFOs, uh, all this stuff, cryptids, whatever you want to look at. Bigfoot, yep. it's all it's all related somehow. Like I said, we've talked about it on uh, several episodes now, but I, I think it's all one thing, and I think it's all kind of interdimensional because it, there's some physicality to some of it, but there's definitely a metaphys- metaphysical to it too where things disappear or it looks like a carousel. So there's some, some kind of physical nature to it, but it's like out of phase. You know, it's like kind of half in, half out. Yeah. We don't really have the right human uh, language to describe this kind of thing because we don't know what the fuck it's we're like talking Skinwalker about. It's like Skinwalker Ranch. Did you read Skin <laughs> Hunt for the Skinwalker? I, I didn't. I oh. Don't, you know, some, some, some stuff I, I, I shy away from because if I read it, I won't sleep for a week. You know? Oh, okay. So I <laughs> will say we bought that book at the exact same time that we bought your book. So we, ah. we, we bought those two together and then Joe read that one while I read yours and then we flipped and then we talked about it. But it was an interesting few, couple weeks. Yeah, we were both like, ooh, yeah. like what's going on in the world? Yeah, I think it's scary. Like I don't know what's scarier. So I don't I don't want to think about dying and being dead forever. Cause as a human I can't possibly conceive of that. That's horrible. But I can't possibly think of being reincarnated forever and tortured forever. That's awful too. So like, what's worse being dead forever? Well, you know, I, I, I said those are almost the exact same words to this woman. And I said, you know, that look, I'm tired, you know, <laughs> if, uh, you know, if, when it comes time for me to check out, I want some kind of reward, you know, I don't, I don't want to yes. be uh, thrown back down here. Right. Uh, and she says, well, it doesn't work that way. And I'm like, well, tell me about it. How does it work? And she says, well, you know, when you when you pass over, you'll be greeted. You'll be uh, uh, treated like a king. You'll be happy. You'll be content. And you'll have your time to rest. And uh, what does that mean? She told me time to, to chill for a while, <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> you know, before you have to come back. 
And she says, eternal that, Sunday. Uh, when you I go like to it. come back, that your soul, uh, and I had never heard this before, but evidently this is, this is common belief within the NDE community. She says that uh, your soul um, will decide if, if it wants to come back. And then if it makes that decision that it wants to come back, because evidently we were, we learn shit here that we can't learn anywhere else. Yeah. We yes. can't learn up there. It's we weird. It's like a special place here. Yeah. It's weird. So, I actually she, uh, have a, I have a friend who had an NDE experience and I don't, I didn't, I don't know anyone except for this one person. And she told me she died on an operating table and had a random NDE experience that she did not understand at the time. She, uh, she went in for surgery and she woke up and everything was white around her. Like not, not white, like white, white. It was like bright, like light, but not white. Yeah. Does that make sense? And she yeah. was just, yeah. she was kind of like floating, but she was like, oh shit, I'm dying. Like, oh my God. <laughs> she didn't, she knew she had just gone in for a surgery, but she uh, wasn't sure where she was. And then she kind of looked down and saw the doctors working on her and they saw them, she saw them arguing. And then she doesn't remember anything else. And then she woke up and then she uh, talked about uh, how the doctors were arguing and the nurse confirmed like, yes, they were arguing because they were arguing about the treatment. But she said it happened to her twice where she had to go back in for another surgery. And she was again in this like white suspended state. It wasn't quite death, but it was just this weird NDE experience where she was just enveloped in light, not white again, just like this bright light where she was kind of like what do i do <laughs> had her heart stopped yes yep yeah no okay, she so there's no way that she should have consciously known this no blood to the brain oh, there's no way no, she no, should no. have heard any of this or seen any of this from she the was ceiling especially. She, so when the doctors were arguing she was coding on the table she was dead when the doctors were arguing they were arguing whether or not like what they were doing was correct because they were like, we should give her this, we should give her that, like whatever medicines or like, I don't, I have no healthcare background, so I don't know what they were arguing about, but they were trying to give her certain things to bring her back to help her. And she, she had no idea. She didn't even care that they were arguing at the time. Like she just saw they were yelling at each other and she's like, oh, she looked down and they were arguing below and she saw her body and then woke up and was alive. And the nurse said they they did, in fact, argue days later. Like, oh, yeah, like they did argue because you died and they were arguing about the treatment. So wow. it was weird. That's, that, that is weird. And, and, you know, you might want to go on YouTube and watch some of those IANDS. Uh, yeah. I-A-N-D-S. Uh, they're short, you know, they're 10, 15 minutes long. But, uh, I, I want to look into that, actually. I didn't even know that was a oh, an organization. Sure. No, I've, I've looked at Reddit, but I've, no, I, can't I will. Reddit. I would, I will take that down actually, because I love hearing stories like that. Because I have no idea what's going on. I'm not going to pretend I do. I would love to know. I don't think anyone really knows, but I want to get as much information as possible. Because I don't know what's going on in the world, or when you die, or that is why we have these conversations. <laughs> exactly, trying to figure shit out. It's yeah, the biggest no, question there is. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, Terry, I know it's getting late over there. If you want to plug your social medias or your uh, oh. where to find your book or anything else. Uh, oh, yeah. Oh, my gosh. It's almost 730. I'm so sorry. Like, I know. I, I'm trying to keep time. track of time. But. Yeah, no, I've been enjoying the conversation. I, I oh, okay. It. We appreciate so, it, too. I'm like, I'm sorry. I know you're about to talk, but I'm so completely honored that you came on our little podcast because, again, your book was the first book I bought 
after hearing it on a podcast and I read it and told literally every single person I know about it. It's, the, <laughs> oh, it's thank you so much. That's very <laughs> kind. And I appreciate that more than, you know, I it's dead serious. I'm very devoted to your story and it's stuck with me for the almost two and a half years that you've put it out there. And I'm very excited to read your next book. Yeah. It's actually that your book was the first alien abduction book I've ever purchased i think yeah, we usually watch <laughs> tv at night and i was like we're reading these books and i was like we're not watching a show tonight here you read um <laughs> this i'm reading incident at devil's den okay <laughs> and that's what we did <laughs> i love it i love it well you guys should shoot me your mailing address and i'll, yeah. I'll send you a signed copy of my uh, new book when oh I was hell yeah oh well yes for sure absolutely and we'll totally uh, what's it called so we can plug it it's called devil's den the reckoning Okay. Ooh, nice. Yes, I'm so excited. Yeah, I thought it was a nice ring to it. Do you, do you have any uh, any way people can contact you, or do you uh, have social media? Yes. Okay. I, I have a I have a uh, a website that, I, that I'm embarrassed to say I don't maintain, but I've got some cool <laughs> photographs posted to it. We uh, saw so it. So is it uh, the TerryLovelace.com? TerryLovelace.com. Yes, and uh, my uh, my book. I have a book, the cheapy Kindle version. And then I did an audio book in my own voice, uh, for better or worse. I was told to hire a voice artist, but have you priced voice artists? I mean, you know. Nah, fuck that. So, do yourself, no, that's huh? cheesy. Yeah, do I your own voice. Yeah. I, really, I want it to be in my voice. Yeah. So. Um, but uh, yeah, my, my books are only on Amazon. Um, it's Incident at Devil's Den. Uh, I appreciate you guys' uh, uh, kind comments. I think it's a pretty good read. So, oh, it's great. It's amazing. It. And all the and my uh, new book should be out in 10 days. Oh, 10 perfect. days? And that'll be on Amazon as well. 10 days. 10 days for the for the uh, book in print and the Kindle and then probably another month before I get the audiobook recorded. Okay. Awesome. So, That's awesome. And the old book the old book, but Incident at Devil's End has all your x-rays and the pictures in it, right? It does. It has the x-rays um Pictures of the bruises, uh, a, well, a drawing of the craft, which I think is pretty cool to see. Well, you had some weird stuff, like that weird thing that had like wires coming out of it, and then like the weird circles in your knee. Those so, are still there. They're what are they? Can someone take them out and tell you? Here's here's the deal. I would love to have them out, um, but I can't get a cardiac clearance letter because of my heart problems. Do you just and do no surgeon will touch me. Dude, do you ever just want to take him out and be like, all right, I'm getting a degree in this shit so I can figure it out. Like, that's in your own body. Don't you want to know? Just take I a scalpel to your knee. I, you know, I, I thought about driving down to Tijuana because I, I guarantee I could find a Mexican surgeon who's <laughs> good for me. You for sure could. <laughs> it would probably be like uh, 50 bucks, too. It'd be a lot cheaper <laughs> right, than up here. Right. All yeah, right, but Terry. you might die, so... <laughs> Thank you so much for coming on our little show, and I'll uh, I'll send you the link if you want uh, later if you want to listen to your own voice. I don't listen to my own podcast, so I I don't care either I way. Know. I I talked a lot on this one. I usually don't talk, but I was really excited to talk to you. So I'm so sorry. I probably interrupted you a lot. <laughs> oh, you did. Thank you so much. You guys are both so kind. And shoot me your shoot me a mailing address, and I'll get you a copy of my book. As soon as I get a copy in my hand, I'll Absolutely. get to the post office and priority mail you one. Hell awesome. yeah. Thank you so much. Thank you, sir. Have a good night. <laughs>